Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, session 90. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for your grace. Help us to understand Revelation. And as we talk again about the Harlot Babylon tonight, help us to understand with clarity, greater understanding, greater measure. Tonight we pray in Jesus' name. Book of Revelation, this is the judgment of the great harlot. And as we've been spending about five weeks so far, talking about Babylon at the end of the age, we want to talk about the judgment that's going to come upon her. Now, that's an idea that we've certainly mentioned in a number of the sessions. <clears throat> but tonight, we're going to focus in on the passages that really detail it. And we're going to begin with this very interesting idea of an angel specifically assigned to be the judgment angel for Babylon. Babylon's judgment angel. So uh, if you talk to my daughter, Gabby, she will be sure to tell you that she has a guardian angel. Sometimes we wonder if it's possibly two or three for Stroop children specifically. <laughs> and, uh, but there's this concept of angels being assigned to people and to purposes. Well, the judgment of Babylon has a specific angel that is attached to that reality, to the very judgment uh, of Babylon at the end of the age. Now... I'm going to read you here, uh, Revelation 18, 1 through 2. It's the top of the page here. This angel that's described as having great splendor. So this magnificent, it's not a chump angel. It's not a sideline angel. This is an angel of, of great splendor and, and uh, probably size and brilliance and power. It says this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So the, the message of this angel is fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. They, that's the whole thing. That's what the angel says. This is the, the purpose and the, the, this angel's coming out of heaven to say this statement. Seems kind of like, like a big deal to come out of heaven to just pronounce, you know, this judgment against this city, Babylon, and really not just the city, but also the whole empire. But we were told earlier in the book of Revelation, in chapter 14, when we studied the, the various angels that are found in the book of Revelation, we were told that there's another angel that says this exact same phrase. I, I don't think it's another angel. I think it's this angel saying what he says, doing what he does, holding to his purpose. That's what I think is happening back in Revelation chapter 14. But look, let's read it. A second angel. Now remember, we're in chapter 14 at this point. So we're going back several uh, chapters. So when it says a second angel, it's not a second angel from the angel in chapter 18. It's a second angel from an angel that just said something else in chapter 14. That was the first angel. But it says this, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Exact same phrase with a little bit more, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So we see this same phrase, and again, I think it's reasonable that it's the same angel, that is uh, giving this proclamation 
about the end time judgment of the heart of Babylon. Look in Revelation 18, 21. Again, I think it's the same angel. It doesn't say that it is, but I think that what we're looking at, in my opinion, and it's okay if you think otherwise, in my opinion, what we're looking at here is various facets, aspects, and scenarios of the same angel that you could even identify as the Babylonian judgment angel. That's kind of how I'm reading this, how I'm putting this storyline together. But here we've got in Revelation 18.21, so it's a little bit later uh, in the chapter of uh, Revelation 18 that we read a moment ago, Fallen, Fallen, Babylon the Great. says this, a mighty angel. Remember a minute ago, it was an angel with great authority and great splendor. A mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Or if you will, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It's the same idea, the same concept. Only now you've got an angel doing a prophetic act. It's just so interesting. I mean, that an angel would do a prophetic act. We've got uh, different prophets and um, you know, different people throughout history even that have done prophetic acts as a, as a way to describe what's happening. If you can remember the prophet that comes up to Paul in uh, the book of Acts, and he, he uh, you know, gets all tied up and all this, and he says, so will it be for, uh, you know, the one who's, uh, I forgot what possession he had, maybe sash or something, for one who's, you know, cloaked this, uh, whose cloak this is, and he was referring to, to Paul, and uh, he's doing a prophetic act about Paul's going to be captured and tied up and that kind of thing. It was a prophetic act. An angel here in Revelation chapter 18 is doing a prophetic act. Can you just imagine this angel? Like he's so bored. He's got nothing else to do but pick up a large millstone, throw it into the sea, and then make up a story about it. Everybody's watching this angel, and the angel's like, yeah, you see that rock? Booyah, rock. Well, let me tell you what that was all about. That was Babylon, boys. That's what that is. Babylon's going down, falling, falling. And so this angel does this prophetic act, and, and John, you do, is watching this whole thing, just like, what in the world is going on? And it's, it's, to, it's to cause a scene. These prophetic acts are actually to draw attention, to cause you to think about the story. It's, it's a bizarre occasion when an angel does a prophetic act followed by, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be, fallen, uh, never to be uh, found again. So again, I think it's the same angel in all these occasions. Might not be. But the storyline seems to weave together well to believe that it is. Well, interestingly enough, Jeremiah had already done a similar prophetic act about Babylon at the end of the age being thrown down and never to, be, never to rise again. So it gets weirder because now you've got an angel actually, in a way, mimicking a prophet when the prophet did a symbolic act against the end time fall of Babylon. So now here, uh, top of page two, this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah just got done with the longest prophecy in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 50 and 51. He just receives all this prophetic information about Babylon being judged at the end of the age. It's two chapters long. Each of the chapters has got an obnoxious number of verses in them. And I mean, you're just looking at this incredibly long prophecy. And Jeremiah is told this at the end of the prophecy. 
He's told this. He says, the angel says, when you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I will bring upon her and her people will fall. This is, oh my gosh. So Jeremiah has done this prophetic act. And now the angel in Revelation chapter 18 is like copying the prophet. This is, it's just a very interesting storyline. The reason I tie in the angel copying the prophet is because we know that there's a dynamic interaction between the activity of man according to God's purposes and the activity of angels, the spiritual realm. There is this, you know, when we pray, we bind and loose stuff. Well, when the prophets do prophetic acts, we're binding and loosing stuff. The reason I'm bringing that up is because it makes sense to me if it really is that there's an angel and he's like the Babylonian judgment angel. He's been the Babylonian judgment angel from the beginning and he was watching Jeremiah because Jeremiah is doing a prophetic act against this angel's main assignment, judging Babylon. So he's paying attention to the activity of Jeremiah. Maybe he's even the one giving him the revelation in uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 50 and 51. I forget what the context there is, so don't quote me on that part. But my point is, this angel has been paying attention to the Babylonian judgment storyline throughout history. It makes sense to me that even perhaps before the formation of Babylon, or at least at its formation and its uh, inherent wickedness, that this angel was assigned to be a judgment angel against Babylon. Now, Again, that's a lot of uh, subjective ideas, but now you know where I came with that, came up with that, and, and that's the, that's the storyline that I think is what's happening here. Whether it's all the same angel or it's 32 different angels, whatever the case, here's what we do know. There is judgment assigned against Babylon communicated by at least an angel, if not angels, about the judgment of Babylon at the end of the age, and the language is all very similar. It's a, it is a common thread storyline that's easy to follow. Okay, well, great, she's going to be judged. What's that going to look like? So how will this happen? Top of page two. Her destruction will come from the beast. And we remember the beast is the Antichrist, okay? Now I want to read you just kind of the storyline here. So we're doing in part two, just to give you a little snapshot. We are looking at the relationship and the story between the beast, Antichrist, and the harlot, the city of Babylon that's ruling the empire of Babylon at the end of the age. Babylon rides the beast. That's where we start. Revelation 17, 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. So there's the beast being ridden by the harlot. Revelation 17, 7, I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides. So just as we you know, understand this, <clears throat> there's a dynamic partnership, at least for a season, <clears throat> between <clears throat> the Antichrist before he's revealed as Antichrist. So he's just a, a, some sort of leader but he is not perceived by the planet as you know, the king of the planet. He's actually being ridden 
for a season of time by the harlot. So what my my guess at this point is it's something like the uh, the Antichrist has some level of authority over these ten nations. We'll look at it in a second. <clears throat> that it's kind of like he's the uh, the uh, military arm of Babylon. Something like that. He's, he's the police for Babylon. He's the, the military might of Babylon. And the harlot is riding on this beast. And this beast is accomplishing things and doing things for, the, uh, for Babylon. And Babylon is very grateful and needs the help and the strength of this beast during that season of time. Well, it says that there's 10 nations under control of the beast, 17, 16. The beast and the 10 horns you saw <clears throat> will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. This is, we'll talk a little bit more about what's happening there, but I just want to focus on the fact that there are these 10 nations, <clears throat> these 10 horns <clears throat> that are uh, part of the Antichrist early formation of his empire. They're his early influence, okay, is these 10 nations. It may even well be that the scenario will go like this. Babylon is on the rise. A leader rises within their midst. Someone needs to be in charge of the military strength of Babylon. This guy, the Antichrist, is given the job of, hey, why don't you be in charge <coughs> of an army. In fact, uh, have you got any influence? Yeah, I've actually got 10 nations that, are, uh, that I've got significant influence with. Great. Gather the military might of those 10 nations and you kind of oversee the military strength of Babylon uh, for this upcoming season. And the Antichrist kind of winks and says, okay, sure, I'll do that for you. I'm thinking it's something like that. And I could be off, but that's kind of my guess at this point. They have one purpose as 10 nations. What is the one purpose of these 10 nations? Revelation 17, 13, they have one purpose. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These 10 nations have one purpose. It's to empower the beast to do what he wants to do. <clears throat> Daniel eleven twenty eight. this talks a little bit about their military um, commitment, <clears throat> their prior loyalty to the beast before the end time drama uh, hits its fullness, okay? The king of the north, that's the beast, that's the Antichrist, will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against them and return to his own country. This taking action is military campaigns, 1139, uh, it's also Daniel. He will attack the mightiest fortress with the help of a foreign god and greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Again, just talking about those that have been serving him, that are at his right hand, if you will, <clears throat> that have shown faithfulness, they've shown loyalty to him. He's gonna have this commitment. So when it talks about these 10 nations that belong to him, it's not that they belong to him uh, in a moment, they've been with him. They've been supporting him. Uh, he, he's, you know, they belong to him before um, they uh, show up on the scene in this whole Babylon system thing. Top of page three, the 10 nations suddenly turn on Babylon. All right, look at this. The beast and the 10 horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They'll hate uh, the heart of Babylon. They will bring her to ruin and they will leave her naked. This is such a, a sudden moment. You want to think about the, the suddenness of this because 
God is actually the mastermind behind all of this. It's just crazy how the Lord orchestrates these efforts. Babylon thinks that she's lured the whole world into her trap, into her net, and then suddenly God judges her with the one who she thought was most loyal to him or to her. Uses the beast who will have been, again, some version of the arm of Babylon. You know, some version of that. Again, she's riding atop of him, meaning this beast has got something to give to Babylon. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, the beast turns on Babylon and uh, burns her. Burns her down to the ground and, and, uh, and, and captures her. It's like this is a very sudden moment. The city of Babylon will be burned. I give you a number of verses there. But it's not just the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon is the beginning point. There's really, uh, there's going to be a scorched earth mentality uh, everywhere that the system of Babylon doesn't uh, comply, doesn't come into agreement with uh, the harlot uh, with uh, with the Antichrist. There's going to be cities, other cities burned. There's going to be other groups of people burned, uh, because anywhere that there's opposition to this Antichrist takeover, there's going to be fire to follow. Okay, um, Babylon's unthinkable overthrow. I just want you to I want you to picture this for a second, so you can get kind of a get your head into the storyline. Okay, because this is really unreasonable, unthinkable, unprecedented. Let's think about New York City, okay? Or if you want, let's go with Dubai, because that's been one that we've uh, talked about in, in previous sessions. My point is I want you to think of a modern city with millions of people in it that is a well-known city in the earth that's a celebrated city. It's an economic center, high, high population, great influence. I want you to think about New York City. In a moment, the entire city burned to the ground. What? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. That. Babylon is not a city with 15 people. It's not some small town in Texas. Babylon is going to be a highly populated, global, economic, religious, military, everything, governmental. This is going to be the global city it is unthinkable. Think about how impossible it would be for you to imagine the entire city of New York City or all of Dubai catching fire, burned to the ground. I mean, one building, one bad guy, one terrorist, you know, one act on one street or one city block or something. Not the entire city, the entire city, the most well-known city in the earth at that time will be turned and burned in a moment's notice. That's crazy. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to take the attention of the entire earth when that happens. And in the midst of that, the Antichrist, who's the one responsible for burning Babylon, now completely takes over her empire. He transfers leadership from the city of Babylon to the city of Jerusalem. And he says, yeah, that whole network, that whole system, everything you guys have got, had going, you know, all the, all the accounts, all the might, all the everything, I'm now in charge. I just burned the city. Don't test me. Don't try me. 
It will be such a profound, unbelievable act of aggression and might and and just pomp that that he was able to pull this off. The whole world will shake in their boots over the rise of Antichrist and salute him. So a significant piece of how the Antichrist rises to power isn't only that he sets himself up as God in the temple, it's that he just burned the most important city on the planet suddenly. And he was like the main guy protecting that city the day before, okay? This is just, this is a really crazy thing. And when it burns, it will catch the attention of the whole earth. And now he will seize control of the entire Babylon network, the whole world order that has been constructed under Babylon, the whole world order that presumably he will have had some influence in forming. Remember, for a season of time, the beast is riding on top of this man, on the Antichrist and the Antichrist influence and the Antichrist system. But she doesn't know he's the Antichrist. The world doesn't know he's the Antichrist, but you better believe he knows he's the Antichrist. And he is getting his tentacles even into the formation of Babylon so that he knows exactly how to take it over. He's had some say in how it was formed. All right. Let's move here now to the the last point, uh, part uh, two, top of page four. There is a really interesting unwanted surprise that the Antichrist gets in all this. Okay? This is a really, really unfortunate thing that happens for him. If you're the Antichrist. Now, of course, you're not, we hope. Okay. The Antichrist is, is a really, really bad dude. He takes over the city of Babylon or the, the empire of Babylon. And he instantly thinks, I just annexed the whole planet under my control. I now have an entire empire that is now under my control. He sees no downside to this. But here's what's interesting. The language, uh, most of the language, not all, but most of the language that deals with God's anger against the planet isn't God's anger against Antichrist. Most of the language, not all, most of the language against, uh, 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 that speaks of God's anger against the planet in the end times is actually his anger against Babylon and the system that was formed. Why is that a problem? The Antichrist just took over that system. He doesn't make it any better. God is actually going to judge the Antichrist for what his predecessor had created. Babylon, compromise, sins abounding. We maybe mentioned this in a previous session. uh, Antichrist's primary objective is totalitarian control. His primary objective isn't have everybody sin as much as they want. Babylon's primary objective is this is wickedness, cause everybody to compromise, cause everybody to sin, every sin imaginable, that's what Babylon is all about. Sin, 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 sin. Antichrist isn't about sin, sin, sin. Antichrist is about control. So while control is really, really bad and he's the worst dude ever, actually what God is gonna begin releasing judgments against is Babylon. It just so happens Antichrist is now in charge of Babylon. So it's a real shocker for the Antichrist 
because he just took over this entire system and sees no downside. The problem is he's got an enemy called God, and God is actually at the same moment that the Antichrist takes over Babylon, God begins to judge Babylon. And so while just a moment ago, Antichrist was coming against the city of Babylon, now God is coming against the empire of Babylon, and it just so happened it's, it's got a new leader called A. And so now you've got the Antichrist who's leading the globe. He's really leading global Babylon. And God is now saying, you know what? Timing on that was just perfect, actually. Because I needed to deal with you too. And so now I'm going to judge your entire planet system that you're in charge of. I am going to release my judgments against Babylon. It just so happens you're in charge of Babylon. So that's the storyline. I mean, that's... Who thought this up? I mean, God is so creative and careful, but I'm just, if you're the Antichrist, man, that, was just, that just backfired bad. Like, dang, that was bad timing. Okay, Babylon judged for her many sins. So let's just look just for a moment here about some of that judgment. We're not gonna look at so many of the sins. We're mostly gonna look at the, the way that the judgment happens, the way God is dealing with the situation. Revelation 18.4. Now this is right after the city is, is burned with fire. It's right actually in the midst of Babylon being burned with fire, the city. And God says this to the people of God across the earth. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. Share in her sins. See, that's what God's judging. He's actually judging the sins of the earth. So that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Uh-oh, there's plagues attached to them sins. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. It's interesting that in, uh, in Genesis, the objective of the Tower of Babel was to build a tower to heaven. And God says, oh, you did it all right. You built it with sin. You have built up your sin upon sin upon sin. That sin has climbed all the way to heaven. You didn't build a physical tower. You built a spiritual one, and it's piled all the way up. And now I'm going to come in like a giant Jenga moment, and I'm going to knock that thing over. I am going to come in and knock that tower down. I'm going to deal with sin. And so this is what the, the, the judgment of Babylon at the end of the age, it's all related to her sin. It just so happens when it starts getting judged, it's Antichrist leading it. All right. For what reasons? God remembered her crimes. What crimes? She leads the whole world astray. You remember John 3.16, God so loved the world? Well, Babylon just took the thing that God loved and led the whole darn thing astray. So God's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember your sin. You, you anti-John 3.16 to me. So now I'm going to deal with you. Like I so loved the world and you so deceived it. So now we're going to deal with you. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There's going to be all sorts. This is talking about believers. If believers are going to abandon the faith and follow. Oops, there we go. Okay, we may need to work on a replacement cord. Um, if, if, uh, if believers are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, that will be the cultural norm for the lost people. 
For those that don't know the Lord, it's not going to be some will follow. It's going to be wholesale they'll follow. Oh, yeah, it's going to be so deceitful. Some in the church are even going to abandon the faith and follow these teachings. Well, who is it that's teaching these things? Just some dude on the side of the street? No, it's the harlot Babylon at the end of the age. The harlot is deceiving the world that God so loves. And God remembers her sins, remembers her crimes. She's going to pervert global economics. I was just thinking about this, the, the wholesomeness, the goodness at the very um, uh, foundation of business practice. God created business. The enemy has corrupted it. Business isn't bad. It's a really good thing that if back in the day, if you grow corn and your friend grows wheat, that the two of you trade. Congratulations, business. Mutually beneficial. I give you some of this, you give me some of that. I don't have enough dudes in fields to be able to have both a wheat field and a corn field. I'm so glad you've got it. Let's trade together. Hey, in fact, you really are a good cook at this. I, you know, I can do some handiwork. That's business. Mutually beneficial, wholesome, right, and good. God created economics. God created business. The harlot is going to come in and completely pervert business completely pervert business at the end of the age. And that's going to be one of the things that she's judged for. Look at Revelation 18, uh, verse 3. The nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth, merchants being all the economic leaders, they grew rich from her excessive luxuries. They're trading all sorts of things. They're no longer looking at, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. The entire premise of Babylon uh, economics is all about using people for gain. That's the whole practice, the whole premise. It's, it's not so much about uh, uh, equity and, and helping people and you know, uh, uh, mutual benefic- uh, benefits. It's all about using extorting, exploiting, abusing. There's human trafficking in the midst of all of it. It actually talks about human trafficking as one of the mainstay components of the Babylonian, uh, Babylonian economic system. Mainstay. It's a, it's a normal piece of it. Now, I just even want to talk a little side note on that. It is unthinkable that a government would operate in human trafficking as part of its its economic development plan. The one government of the planet will be operating in human trafficking as one of its mainstay components for how to run the global economy. It's listed in the list of things that are traded in the Babylonian system in chapter 18 of Revelation. Human souls, it says. Humans were being traded. They are being uh, all sorts enslaved and traded in all sorts of manner. And it's listed right there with like gold, silver, and stuff. You got your gold, you got your silver, and you got your people. And it's governmentally orchestrated. It's unthinkable that governments would be operating that way. Not only governments, the one government that's giving governance to the globe and all the subsequent nations within it are going to be operating in human trafficking. This is going to be horrific. That is going to become part of the new foundation of this economic system at the end of the age. God created economics. God created business. It is good. It is right. It is wholesome. And it will be perverted by Babylon. And God says, I will remember your crimes. I'm going to deal with that. 
She will cause compromise in the nations. All the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Nations drinking of her harlotry, drinking of all of her. You know what that means is the, the whole concept of, you know, a prostitute, harlot. The whole concept is God created that concept in the context of marriage, and it's a good thing. But you've taken it and you've perverted it. Now you've done something with it that it shouldn't have been done. That's what this concept is. So anytime you see that term, prostitute, harlotry, in, in the word specifically related to Babylon or another nation or to Israel, it's talking about you took the good stuff, you took the good things and you perverted them. You took the right and you turned it into wrong. So when it says this, the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. It means they've all bought in wholesale into all the perverted ways that she's operating in. All of her compromise, every form of thing that's supposed to be good, she has turned it around for ill. People are calling that ill good, and they're calling good evil. That's what's happening in the culture, and it's all under her leadership. God says, I'm going to remember you for this. I'm going to deal with you. She's responsible for mass martyrdom. She's going to remove the threats. Anything that she perceives as a threat to her compromise, she will seek to remove. And the church will be in the crosshairs for sure. Because the church is going to go, don't call that good. That's not good. And she's going to say, I'm stronger than you. You died today. That's how this is going to go. And she's going to have great power and authority. Look what it says here. It says, Revelation 18, 24, in her was found the blood of the prophets and God's holy people and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. Babylon responsible for mass slaughterdom. Babylon, not Antichrist. That happens later. This is Babylon. And it's because of Babylonian practice. It's because of people are going to get in the way of her harlotries and she's going to say, oh, I won't stand for that. You're going to be killed for that reason because you stood in the way. It's going to be really intense. She leads the world from a place of unprecedented pride. The language that Babylon uses of herself, we see multiple times in the scriptures, is I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. That's a person who feels secure, who is convinced that her self-sufficiency is that she's untouchable. So it's all the more unthinkable when she winds up judged and dealt with in a day <laughs> that that would happen just so quickly. Um, she also operates her, her uh, network through witchcraft. I don't have time to go into that right now, but one of the ways that she's going to operate, and there's going to actually be demonic anointing resting on it, is there's going to be an undercurrent of witchcraft that's going to be running the Babylonian system kind of behind the scenes. I don't know how much of it will be overt. I'm sure some of it will be detectable. But there's going to be a, a, a strong sense. I, I mean, to the point where there's probably never been any government in human history that had this much witchcraft backing it, supporting it, strengthening it, and empowering it. Witchcraft will be a significant component of the Babylonian empire. I, I just can't help myself. We're headed into this. This is your future. You are going to be the people that witness this happen. 
It's happening now to a small degree, small by comparison of where it's going. We're going to watch this unfold in the coming decade or two. This is going to form around us a society that is that is the government, the, the primary operational uh, uh, you know, entity of the earth will be fueled heavily by witchcraft. That's horrifying. This is what's coming. Her ju- the judgment of God is poured out. I'm going to go pretty quickly through this just so that we can break into uh, discussion groups. God is going to confront wickedness. Look at this, top of page uh, six. You said, I will live forever, the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now then, listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there's none besides me. I'll never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment, in a single day, loss of children and widowhood. Revelation 18.7 says similarly, give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. This is God confronting the wickedness. He's absolutely going to deal with it. Dealing back with her double what she's done to others. I gave you a couple verses there where the focal point is this this wanton creature, (laughs) this This harlot system will have created and perpetuated sin across the whole earth. And God says, you know what? Let's give her back double what she gave everybody else. Whatever problem she caused, whatever wickedness she caused, whatever destruction, whatever uh, uh, deteriorating of what is right, good, and true that she has done, let's figure out how to turn that into some sort of a, a measurement. And then whatever we come up with, let's double it and give it back to her. That's what happens in the end time judgments. The day has come. Language that describes your day has come. The time for you to be punished, Babylon. It's a sudden destruction, complete desolation. At the end of it, we talked about this in a previous session, she will become an eternal burning haunt for demons and what's described as the, uh, the foul birds of the air. Forever, a burning reminder forever. So this is the judgment of Babylon and why it's because of her sin. But remember, by the time this judgment starts to unpack, it's Antichrist in charge of the former Babylonian network, which he actually was part of forming, at least at some level. Okay, let's break into groups. Look how many groups we got tonight. All right, we're going to go now into our time of uh, group Q&A, and I'll repeat the questions for those that are watching online or that listen to the uh, recording later. Um, so let's go ahead and start over here. Uh, Luke Cooper. Okay, so uh, Revelation 14.8 says, uh, uh, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So what is that maddening wine, and how are they made to drink it? Uh, and uh, you know, Luke even you know, brought up the question, it kind of, giving a little bit of intro is that what role does social media play or whatever? Um, so the, uh, the, the substance of who she is is all the long list of sins that we see in uh, Revelation chapter 18 and elsewhere. But the maddening wine that others are made to drink is the way that she is marketing, the way that she is uh, getting people involved in this. The kind, the concept of intoxicated is that you've drunk so much of it that now you know you've lost your sober thinking. That kind of so the nations are drinking it. The nations are somehow having access to her uh, her promotional efforts, her propagation. 
everything about the way that she's going to run her system is going to force feed her ideology into the culture. And so I think what we've got right now with some of the interesting things that we've experienced in this last, you know, two years related to the power of influence in marketing, in media, in social media, uh, I think shows us a measure of what can happen when there is a very focused effort uh, from you know all those different sources to get people thinking a certain way or doing a certain thing. Well, whatever level of influence that realm of things has today, it is going to be amplified probably times 100 by the time we get to where we're going. And the systems will be more clear and she will have universal control of all of it. So there'll be no dissenting voices with any platform in relationship to the, the pushing forth of that information. So for instance, just as a for instance, if there was a way to completely uh, constrict all information that was processed via the internet, if there was a way to make sure that there was only one narrative uh, going forth, only one form of marketing, only one form of social media, only one form of uh, you know uh, reporting, only one form, you could get all of that completely in alignment and under the control of the Harlot Babylon. It's now, if you're listening, if you're going anywhere, if you're buying any cereal boxes, it's on the cereal box. On the way in, it's on all the electronic billboards that will be everywhere, billboards in your car, forced uh, announcements and, and, and the things that will be happening in our vehicles and phones and everything. I mean, there's just going to be so much forced media where right now we still have a measure of control of what we're listening to and what we're doing. That won't be the case anymore. So there'll be this, this force feeding of a narrative that's going to force the world to buy into her one storyline. And it will be infuriating. It will be, you know, uh, it will be uh, 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 intoxicating. You know, it's something interesting. I've always found this to be uh, odd. But I can remember as a lost person being fueled by hate in a way that I felt power on that, on feeling those hateful things, thoughts, whatever. There's power. There was anointing resting on it. I didn't know the anointing was demonic. But there's something about that. So as this infuriating message, as this amplification of let's stand against everyone that stands against us, uh, you know, anybody that stands in the way of progress needs to be ABC. All of that is going to be this maddening, intoxicating, indoctrinating, deceitful messaging that will be universally controlled and pushed through everything. So it is a good time to get our spirits undefiled get our lives in Jesus rooted because where we are headed is going to be so much more difficult to bear than where we have been. Great question. Great question. All right, uh, Luke Friedenberg. Yeah, okay, so a um, uh, point that we already covered just a little bit, but if there's, if there's anything more on uh, the difference between the primary objectives of the Harlot Babylon uh, system and the primary objectives of the Antichrist and his uh, system. So we know that the Antichrist is a person and the harlot is a system, but a system doesn't run without people. So at the top of the harlot Babylon, there's going to be a council of people. Is that 10 or, you know, a thousand? I don't know. 
a bunch, probably more than 10, and they're all going to be very much in a very similar thought process. However, a group of people in a similar thought process is very different than one person in his own thought process. The beast is a person. The harlot system is a system. So it's a group of people. So an objective of an individual is a lot easier to gauge, are we doing it, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas the objectives of a system, it's going to be a little bit more ambiguous. The Antichrist wants to be worshipped as God. And so his bottom line is, are there more people worshipping me today than yesterday? That's what he wants. That's what he's after. And control is actually unto beast worship. Control under, under the Babylonian Empire is under influence, under compromise, is under the excessive luxuries, is un, unto the global system you know, uh, 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 propagating. The Antichrist is really not interested so much in a global system. That's an ends to a, uh, a means to an ends. He's after global worship. He wants everybody to worship him. So his objective is very narrow. His objective is control unto worship. Whereas the, the Babylon system, nobody in, in, at the top is trying to become God and trying to get the world to worship that person or the or you know the system. The Babylonian system is very much about trying to get everybody to just fully endorse sin, embrace all carnality, just every area of compromise and wickedness. And so the objectives are pretty different, and the measurables will be pretty different. Uh, uh, you might say if that council was meeting the, the 10 or the 1,000 key leaders of the Harlem Babylon system, they might be going, are more people embracing just the, the fullness of, of what they want and, and of, of just of human carnality and, and every form of, of, uh, you know, of desire of the heart? That might be kind of the uh, the, the uh, mile marker objectives for Babylon, but Antichrist is just after worship, and he is fueled and made a covenant with Satan, and he's actually on the hook to do Satan's bidding, which is to get more people to worship Satan and worship the Antichrist. So those are pretty different objectives. I mean, both horrendously evil, but with very different objectives. So great question. Um, okay, Andy. So the, the question is maybe what role does the apostate church play in Harlem Babylon at the end of the age? Um, so, uh, you know, throughout history there have been, and this was part of your question, there have been different groups that people would say, oh, you know, that's the Harlem Babylon system. That's going to be it. That's going to be it. But uh, whatever it is that would be identified historically or even potentially now is far too narrow. It, the, we're talking about the planet is going to be Babylon. It's not, is it this group or is it that group? It's everybody that's not totally against evil and fighting for truth is going to be right all up in the middle of that system to the point where God says to his people, even you come up out of her that you would not participate in her sins and therefore the plagues I've assigned to her. So the thought process that it's one group or a couple of groups is, any of those groups is part of the problem but is not the problem. We're talking about a global losing of the mind, a, 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 a humanity being reduced to like caveman carnal thinking. The whole world is going to lose its mind and is going to be all about carnality. And so 
the apostate church, this group, that group, every group, they're all going to be part of this harlot system, but the system is way bigger than what any one group could be uh, uh, in charge of. It, it's going to be a glo- it, this thing. Just think about how impossible it would be for any group. Name a military apostate church. Uh, you know the the Roman Empire. Name anything that could have potentially taken over every single nation and gotten every nation to become drunk on her ways. It's like, this is far bigger than any of that. It's way, way bigger. Uh, Great question. Okay, and then finally here. So the whole intense, horrific role of human trafficking in the last generation that is promised, I mean, it's right there in Revelation 18. It's just, it stares at you in a way that's... You normally would think about human trafficking in a list of sins, not in a list of merchandise. You know, you you wouldn't think of humans in a list of things you can buy. And yet it says it right there in Revelation 18. And so the question uh, that was asked was, okay, so if the church is standing against Babylon, how much, what role will Christians potentially be brought into that as part of the punishment, as part of the retribution? Maybe, probably, I hope not. Let's pray no. Let's pray we just die instead. You know, that they martyr us instead of traffic us. I mean, that's, I don't know. Or maybe, or maybe like the Moravians, there's going to even be a place to be sold into that system in order to be able to bring the gospel to those that are in it. I think that this is going to get very complicated. And most of the end time answers in, in my continual uh, review and re-review and look at it again and now another question, now another Bible verse, it's like any point is 10 degrees of, compli- of complication. It's not a simple, oh yeah, it'll be this easy, or it's just this, or it's just that. I think that there's going to be layers and, and all sorts of things going on. I, I will say this, the primary picture that's painted related to Babylon's interaction with the church is martyrdom, not trafficking. But that doesn't mean that it won't include that, or that it won't include that first. You know, I mean, but the primary like judgment against Babylon in relationship to the way that she treated the church isn't that she trafficked the church, it's that she martyred the the saints. So, but again, I don't think that that means it won't happen. I I think that it's just when we're looking at what is the primary, it's going to be, you know, off with their head as opposed to, you know, the, the thought process of trafficking as the default. But remember, we're talking about a global system that's made up of evil people that are trying to make money and do evil things. And so there's going to be all manner of ways that that plays out. So I think also in this, just as we kind of end with this, this is part of the reason that we pray Psalm 91. It's part of the reason that we pray, you know, let no harm befall me. Let, you know, the, the protection of the Lord, the Goshen principle, all these passages that we pray and believe is that the Lord would actually protect the saints so that the worst that happens to us is death as opposed to any number of other uh, horrible fates. And so we want to just be those that do. But I'll tell you this, the Lord will not give you more than you can handle. So whatever it is that finds uh, us in, uh, in the future you know, years and decades, we have the strength in the Holy Spirit to be able to stand in the midst of that and to be a witness 
and to make impact for the kingdom. So let's just believe that because that's what the Bible says. Father, we ask... This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.